Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the intellectual legacy of Timothy Leary. And I'm very pleased to have with me in the studio a guest whom I last interviewed in 1973, 45 years ago. Her name is Joanna Harcourt Smith, but when I first met her, her name was Joanna Leary. And she was ostensibly Timothy Leary's wife. And she worked uh, very, very hard for years to help free him from prison in California, where he was at that time. She is the author of a wonderful book called Tripping the Bardo with Timothy Leary. And she is also credited as being co-author of a couple of Tim's books, including Neurologic and Starseed. She, in addition, she produces a podcast and uh, has been doing it now for a dozen years. It is called Future Primitive, and I uh, encourage our viewers to check it out. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you, Jeff. I'm very happy to be with you. It's a pleasure to be with you after so long. And, and you know, Timothy Leary has become such a notorious figure, uh, a cultural icon, that I think many people forget the important intellectual contributions that uh, that he has made, because in a, in a way, those contributions were like touchstones for a whole generation of people back in the 19, late 1960s and uh, 1970s, 1980s in, in particular. Uh, and I'm thinking of, for example, one of the, his great contributions uh, that he uh, created along with uh, Ralph Metzner and uh, Richard Alpert uh, in, in the book, the psychedelic experience is to point out that the Tibetan Book of the Dead, of all things, was a map of consciousness that could be accessed through psychedelics. Well, you see, when I was a child and for years later, uh, I was always interested in why are we here? Mm -hmm. Where do we come from? Why do we suffer? Mm -hmm. uh, why do we feel joy? What is this thing all about? And uh, coincidence upon coincidence led me to Timothy Leary when I was 26 years old. Uh, I found him in Switzerland, which was normal for me because I lived between Switzerland and Paris. And um, he was a fugitive from prison at that time. I think it's very important to bring that up in the beginning, because if you think about it now, um, marijuana, weed like it's called now, yeah. is legal in many, many states yes, and is. even yeah. whole countries. Uh -huh. Even recreational marijuana exactly. has been legalized. Yeah. Uh, it, it's okay to have fun. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Leary had been arrested and was in prison for possession of marijuana. 
A tiny, a tiny a amount. A tiny amount. I think a tenth of a gram or something. Yes, a, like what, what, what was called in those days a roach mm -hmm. found in the ashtray of his car. Yeah. Um, because when the Supreme Court threw out part of his, um, his, his condemnation, mm -hmm. whatever it's called, uh, he said, in California, he said he was going to run for governor of California. Oh, yes. This was before I met him. Uh -huh. um, he was then rearrested for possession of marijuana. Yeah. He was arrested once in Texas. That was thrown out. And then he was arrested again in California. And, and of course, the, for the, the roach. roach wasn't really the reason. No, the roach wasn't really the reason. Uh, he was called by the DEA an ideological trafficker. Yeah. And he was a philosopher. So just to go back to the thread of the fact that mm -hmm. he was, he was, he said he wanted to run to be governor of California. Ronald Reagan was governor of California. Richard Nixon was president of the United States. Uh, Hoover was head of the FBI, and drugs were the war. Because, yes. of course, uh, we have continuous war, war in this country, <laughs> right? The longest of all I mean, wars. Yes, the mm -hmm. longest. So he was sent to prison. His appeal was refused, and he escaped from prison. Yes. And amongst other things, because it would take us forever, uh, he, one of the countries he went to as an escapee from American prison was Switzerland. Which is where you met him. Which is where I met him, exactly. Yeah. A fugitive and on the run. A fugitive on the run was just perfect for me because I wanted an outlaw mm -hmm. more than anything uh, because I always thought the laws were ridiculous. I mean, all, all laws were ridiculous. Of course, in those days, I didn't drive a car. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've changed my mind about now that I'm a driver for the last 30 years, but most laws are not so smart. Mm -hmm. uh, so I found my outlaw, and um, he was kind. Mm -hmm. He was generous. He, he was loving. And I wondered what that came from. And honesty, after a few days, I took LSD with him. And uh, it was a sublime experience. I mean, there was, there was, there was love making of every atom in our being. And it was personal and it wasn't personal. I mean, when I say, when I talk about this lovemaking, I'm really talking about the fact that I know this is happening between you and me and all beings at all times. There, there is this beautiful soup of relationship that mm -hmm. happens. And on that LSD trip, which I'd taken before, it was, it was heightened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was this, becoming in love. Yes. And then he said to me, you've come to free me, which I really didn't understand much uh, about. I mean, I didn't understand about the politics in the United States. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand his place in politics. Uh, but I thought he might be somebody who could answer 
these questions that I had, these burning questions mm -hmm. while I was here. Yeah. What are we doing? And he had been to India. Mm -hmm. He had collaborated on these books, The Psychedelic Prayers yes. and The Psychedelic Experience. Mm -hmm. And um, really, he didn't explain anything to me. But what he mirrored was a freedom of the mind. In other words, it was very obvious to me from the beginning that at some level conditioning didn't count for him. I mean, he did funny things like uh, he, once he would brush his teeth from the right and then one he'd, he'd <laughs> brush his teeth from the left uh -huh. and he'd explain to me that habit is the worst thing for spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and that we can change that. This is a Gurdjieff thing, of course. We, we must change our habits. We must pay attention to our habits mm -hmm. and, uh, and change them. But all that was, you see, all that was very new. Because one might consider brushing your teeth the same way every day is a harmless habit. Does it? Not going to harm you, not going to harm anybody. But he's saying that the very fact that it is a habit uh, invites change. Thank you, and that and that we can change our our habits. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and ought to. And definitely, if we crave freedom, mm -hmm. which at the bottom of our being yeah. we all do then even these tiny little things can create more freedom. Mm -hmm. um, after, in the beginning, that when I met him, uh, we didn't make love for a couple of weeks. And uh, I love to tell this story. Uh, one night we were in this beautiful hotel room and he pulled out the Life magazine that had the first pictures of the human brain. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing at that time, because at that time, uh, uh, the brain, the head was just a helmet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get to see all these beautiful pictures of the brain. And mm -hmm. you can imagine the synapses, and you can see the sinuosities in the brain and all of that. And he says to me, when now, when we will make physical love, because we had been making love, but we hadn't been having what we call sex sex, mm -hmm. he says, look at those pictures and know that I will be making love to every uh, part of your brain. Of your brain, yeah. Which was really beautiful. And mm -hmm. since that happened on LSD, uh, we use the word imprinting a lot. Mm -hmm. And I imprinted something very, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's that actually I was being penetrated as a woman, not just for my vagina, which has been a pain for women mm -hmm. in many circumstances, but I was being penetrated in all the craters mm. of my being. Well, he had a, a great appreciation for physical reality, whereas, you know, Ramda seemed to go in a different direction and become so very spiritualized uh, 
Timothy always seemed to. He enjoyed science fiction. He, he uh, paid a lot of attention to the uh, people who were talking about transhumanism and, and the singularity. Uh, to my knowledge, most of those people are very materialistic and uh, also uh, travel into outer space really fascinated him. So he was, he was not, it's not as if he ignored the otherworldliness of psychedelics, but he seemed to enjoy uh, keeping one foot firmly grounded here on the earth. Well, that was, that was attractive about him is that um, uh, he was very grounded in the, in the earth and a visionary, a traveler mm-hmm. of the of the mind. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about recently. There has been a book by Michael Pollan that a lot of people are reading oh, yes. about changing uh, your mind, changing your mind. Yeah, uh, about the adventure of taking psychedelics. Right. Well, what is that adventure? And he says things about Timothy Leary. Mm-hmm. Now, Timothy Leary's been dead since 1996. Um, you see, an important book to read for, of Timothy Leary is a book called The Harvard Years. The Harvard uh, Years. The Harvard Years. And mm-hmm. I've, I've, I really like the author. I've forgotten his name now, but he's transcribed a lot mm-hmm. of the papers. We will uh, show the cover. Please, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things, he published a lot of the writings that Timothy did at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think those writings are a lot more important than saying that if he hadn't made psychedelics public, um, they wouldn't have the reputation that they had until now mm-hmm. when the medical and the universities are picking up yeah. the medicine again. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly did, I think, more than anybody to publicize uh, what he saw as the positive benefits of psychedelics. Well, he knew, he found out, he was a psychologist, he found out, that's what Michael Pollan might credit him with, he found out that after the Second World War, we had to change our minds. Mm-hmm. And not only that we had to change our minds, but that it was possible. Mm-hmm. You see, remember, People went to war. Men went to war. That was their dignity. They didn't question this. It's just one of the things. They yeah. didn't question whether whether that was patriotism in the sense of getting killed for territory. Mm-hmm. Um, well, people was I part of your dignity. People considered uh, war a, a an opportunity to uh, achieve glory, meaning, <laughs> meaning, and. And Timothy Leary, in his Harvard days, told us that there is a world of meaning. There is so much other meaning Mm -hmm. than just territorial, sentimental, Frank Sinatra, you know. Uh, There is so much more to the world of meaning. Which is why, I guess, he urged people to drop out. And, and there were thousands, probably millions of people who were doing exactly that, dropping out, getting out of what 
people consider to be a rat race. You can tune and tune do in. one of the. You mm-hmm. can you can tune your brain mm-hmm. to whatever is exciting to you, is fun, mm-hmm. gives meaning to your life, mm-hmm. creates valuable relationships, not just relationships of duty, not just cardboard relationships, just relationships that where there is true exchange of the genius that is mm-hmm. being human. Yeah. And he told us that. He saw that. He was prepared because he was a psychologist. He went to India. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first people to put these things together. And he was a scientist. Mm-hmm. And he realized that our brain is unlimited. And, and in all fairness, he was building on the work of some important pioneers who came ahead of him, people like Aldous Huxley, who, as I recall, was also a big influence uh, to you. Absolutely. Alan Watts. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, uh, um, all the other Huxleys as well, mm-hmm. uh, pioneers. Um, he was extremely well-read intellectual. He was a piano player. And uh, we all know that that playing the piano is a great exercise for the mind, for the brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, He got extremely involved in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But then he was a scientist and he turned away from that. Yes. Anyway, what my relationship did for me is that it showed me that there is no end to curiosity. There's no end to learning, Mm -hmm. and particularly there's no end to connecting between the universes Mm -hmm. that we are. Well, I think, frankly, that a conversation such as the one we're having right now has an eternal quality to it. I've been doing these interviews now, as you know, for over 45 years, and I think I could keep going another 10,000. You look like it. (laughs) (laughs) It, It's one, you know, the whole thing um, of John Archibald Wheeler. Wheeler, the physicist. The physicist, the quantum physicist. Is it's all about asking the right question, mm-hmm. and I'm totally fascinated by that. It's it's what I do in my uh, in my podcast. Yes, you you ask the questions. It's so delightful, and mm-hmm. so I'm thrilled <laughs> to be with a question specialist <laughs> right here. So yeah. maybe I inspired you <laughs> long you ago. Did. You did. <laughs> you did inspire me. Uh, you were part of my very early love of radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we were in San Francisco, yep. KPFA. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always wondered, well, how could I have my own radio station? <laughs> and with podcasting, yes. I realized that that is possible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people now have their own radio stations. Mm-hmm. Well, and Timothy saw the, many of these things on the horizon. He, he really was a futurist. He was a futurist 
so far as like right now, one of the great interests, the, a few days ago, water was found on Mars or, right. yes, or the I, awareness uh-huh. that water. An, an underground lake. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, he was totally aware that we will need to migrate. Uh, I personally love Gaia. Mm-hmm. I love the living earth. I, I never, Stop being in a, a absolute amazement of the creativity of the earth. Mm-hmm. But I also have a very pioneering spirit. I, I loved him because he was an explorer. Mm-hmm. And 50s, 60s, we came to a time where at least we thought that we had explored all of this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're explorers by nature. And he seemed to feel that the psychedelic experience was a preparation for us to become a, a space-faring species. It's very true. And also there's a fact that um, he and I uh, uh, were captured in Afghanistan yes. by... Uh, by the the CIA, mm-hmm. FBI, DEA, or whatever these yeah. gentlemen, the feds, the feds <laughs> called themselves, uh, because Nixon wanted him to become a, a law and order trophy mm-hmm. for his second inauguration, yes. and so we were captured. Um, I had no idea what was going on. We would taken to an aeroplane, and uh, there was a, a DA agent who said, uh, dope's the game, Leary's the fame, <laughs> and off we go, and off we went to America. I had yeah. been once to Washington, D.C., and they were taking Timothy back to prison. Yes. And he was in some very fierce prisons. He was in Folsom Prison, in solitary confinement, next to Charles Manson. Once again, for a roach, but also for defying the entire American government by escaping from prison. I mean, there's a sense in which Leary uh, was like Socrates, <laughs> that he was imprisoned for expressing his ideas and corrupting the youth. Well, yes, I mean, he was imprisoned for saying to people, your conditioning is not who you are. Mm-hmm. And I persist up till this day. To, you know, when I, when I meet somebody or when I'm interviewing somebody, I want to get behind that conditioning and I want to know who you are. Yeah. Back behind what they've taught you to be. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Who are you, Jeff Mishlove? <laughs> well, can you ever really get there? Well, you can keep exploring it for yeah. yourself, and you might want to share it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been, and, and uh, people who view now know that after many, many years of doing just interviews, I've started to do monologues, and right. in those monologues, I do talk about myself. Beautiful. Although, I, as I say, I could keep going for 10,000 years. I don't know I'd get to the bottom of it. At the bottom of it, I'd say, who am I? I'm you. 
And that is such a loving, loving place to be. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that enormously. And, uh, and the tool for that is? The tool? The tool yeah. for that is? Well, what do you think? Compassion. Uh -huh. It's it's like this wonderful tool. I mean, mm -hmm. for a long time uh, we again it's the same um, theory. For a long time we had to invent tools to survive, yeah. and then the Buddhists a long time ago uh, prescribed that the, the greatest tool for surviving and for being and creating mm -hmm. is compassion, understanding. Mm -hmm. So the tool for being oneness together, for mm -hmm. loving each other, is compassion, mm -hmm. isn't it? Now you were involved for years in an intimate, loving relationship with Timothy. Even when he was separated in prison, you, you stood by him for many years and uh, wrote to each other on a daily basis. That's so beautiful recently. I mean, I went to, he was moved to 26 different prisons and jails. Part of it was that he would become extremely popular because he was such a uh, gregarious human being. Mm -hmm. He became very popular uh, even when he was in solitary confinement in the prisons where he was. He wrote uh, when he wasn't in solitary, he, he wrote briefs for better treatment of the prisoners. Mm -hmm. So the prisoners loved him because there he was, this intellectual, writing legal briefs to bring better treatment for them. And um, so they'd move him. Mm -hmm. And like they do. I mean, in my uh, experience a long time ago, uh, the Bureau of Prisons is very personal with, at least with notorious mm -hmm. prisoners. They study their lives, they study how to make people miserable, and so they moved him a lot. And uh, I picked up and I moved to wherever he went and claimed time with him, uh, visiting and extra visiting time with him. And uh, and we talked a lot about what in those days was called quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. uh, that was absolutely fascinating. Uh, so many possibilities, and and out of those possibilities, of course, came the uh, smile, mm -hmm. space migration, intelligence. What was the LE? I forgot. Life extension, because mm -hmm. he wanted to... Uh, he wanted to be frozen. He wanted his brain to be frozen when he died. Mm -hmm. But anyway, for uh, three and a half years, which uh, was not time in regular time, because we would we would spend six or seven hours together, twice a week or or more, mm -hmm. and uh, we couldn't do anything but kiss at the beginning, kiss at the end, maybe play footsie under the table. But talk, mm -hmm. but talk. And so you had lengthy conversations. We had very lengthy conversations. And to come back to uh, those letters he wrote me every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I lost those letters for 40 years, and they just came back to me. Recently recovered. Yeah, Uh in December. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, is an example that the veil between the worlds is very, very thin. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody found me out of the blue. I I didn't even remember who had those letters. Mm -hmm. I thought that a lover or someone had destroyed them, and uh, they came back to me recently, mm-hmm. and uh, they're now in possession of the New York Public Library, so that they'd be available mm-hmm. to anyone who uh, is writing a thesis. So, so in these out. lengthy discussions and in the letters back and forth, I imagine you worked out many of the ideas that were later published in Neurologic and Starseed. And and his other book, What Does Woman Want? Uh-huh. And Exopsychology. Uh-huh. And uh, another book that was called Interstellar Neurogenetics. Mm-hmm. And that's a very interesting manuscript. And that's uh, at Harvard. So... Uh, Yes, I mean, we had fascinating conversations. Mm-hmm. And as, as I was saying, it was like time travel mm-hmm. because we weren't getting in a car and going somewhere, socializing. We were just expressing our hearts and intelligences to each other mm-hmm. uh, constantly. And so it was like creating... a time which wasn't uh, prison time or ordinary lifetime. So it's like we spent many lifetimes together mm-hmm. and uh, and bonded in a way that's impossible when you're busy together. Yeah. Very unusual circumstances. Yeah. I, there's probably very few comparable relationships that one can uh, point to. In, in that regard, a lengthy prison uh, experience from somebody who who has, uh, I think, in retrospect, I'd have to call Leary a world-class philosopher. Yes, and the very interesting thing was when we were brought back to the States from Afghanistan uh, and his passport had been seized, the... Uh, the federal agent, there was there were several, mm-hmm. but the main federal agent presented him with an ID card valid for one one trip back to the United yeah. States, and under profession it said philosopher. Mm-hmm. So obviously the government itself recognized him. as a philosopher. Well, I understand now that I think about it, in ancient China, the emperor at one time had all the philosophers executed. Um, Well, take Mao, who had (laughs) intellectuals executed. If if you're doing philosophy, if you're really doing your job, you are questioning the truths that other people hold sacred. That's, That's exactly, exactly it. It's a is it the most dangerous profession there is? Probably way up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I know that there are thousands of philosophers who have kind of, you know, they're, they're part of the rat race, so to, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, you know, now that I think about it, Leary had an interesting viewpoint of, of what I'm referring to as the rat race. I think you and your book sometimes refer to it as the game. Yeah. And uh, you you wrote about at one point how he, uh, as as he was in prison and he was working with, uh, as an informant with government agents and would play handball with them, he, he said to them, you know, we're on different sides of the net, but we're all part of the same game. Well, I think that's how... He got out of prison because mm-hmm. he could, he could, uh, could have stayed in prison for 20 years like, yeah. uh, uh, Leonard Peltier. I mean, he could still be, mm-hmm. uh, he could have been in prison for a long time sure. because once you're, once you're grabbed and hooked by mm-hmm. those claws, it's very, very difficult to get out. Yeah. But, once he started, so to speak, collaborating with the feds, which was basically telling them stories, he, he was a psychologist. He became one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the clothes that he asked me to bring him yeah. were similar to the clothes, the, the Sirsaka suit. Well, and he himself was a West Point graduate. Yes, he, he was. He came from a conservative background. And uh, it strikes me that there's something very profound about his collaboration in the sense that he began to develop, I think, from your writing and other things I've read, a real sense of compassion for the very people who are imprisoning him. Well, yeah, he called it the cops and robber games and every game and everybody knows that uh, there wouldn't be any robbers if there wasn't any cops and there wouldn't be and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and prison wouldn't be built if, uh, if, uh, people didn't break the law. And I mean, yeah, we have a whole vast criminal justice system. That, that needs is, each other to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, they're, they're building blocks mm-hmm. of each other. Well, I do think about it because I have a master's degree in criminology, which which I earned prior to uh, going into Parasite. the field of parapsychology. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it, it was fascinating and... and um, I, w- I have been attacked as being the person who made him uh, become a snitch. And, uh, I mean, it's absolutely not true. The, the logic of it was that I said to him, what I did say to him was, if you're a philosopher, you're neither a gangster or a cop. You know, you're mm-hmm. the, you're the person who develops the philosophy between these things, and so perhaps you could convince the government that you're a a philosopher, a a literate person, and America needs philosophers, mm-hmm. and you're not a gangster. Yeah. That's not uh, you're not a dope dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you speak about 
the ideas of the moment and what what is happening. And the government had the idea, I gather, that he was not only a dope dealer, but the kingpin of all dope dealers. Yeah, definitely. That's how they... Which was not true. But that's how they, they got uh, more money. I uh -huh. mean... Uh, they had to, uh, they, when they go to Congress to get more money, and, and mm -hmm. they have to, uh, at, at some time, uh, it was Al Capone, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, it was uh, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, and he was the kingpin of the Brotherhood of Eternal I mean, uh, a big story has to be presented. I mm -hmm. mean, some people will say, well, I'm not taking into account the harm. Yeah. Uh, of of drugs, but no, I'm not taking that lightly at all, and I make an enormous difference between weed, LSD, and psilocybin, and, for instance, very serious pharmaceutical drugs, mm -hmm. uh, heroin, <coughs> uh, amphetamines. Mm -hmm. There's an enormous difference. A big difference between psychedelics and narcotics. Big difference. And a, and a big difference between people suffering from abuse mm -hmm. who take, and who have been really marked by abuse in their childhood or historical or genetic, mm -hmm. uh, Native American, Jewish, well, the reason that the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, which was basically an organization for distributing drugs, considered Timothy Leary their hashish, hashish or uh, weed, uh, they considered him a spiritual godfather. They did. And, they did. And and that would be because I guess you have to say a big part of his philosophy was hedonistic that people had a right. To enjoy themselves. I think that's in the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And a large part of his philosophy was about the pursuit of happiness. And also, I believe that as you became, you become a mystic and it's available to everybody, yeah. ecstasy is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just uh, look at the roses in your garden, mm -hmm. and pleasure is so intense, and mm -hmm. gratitude for for such beauty becomes the root of your being, and so you're having a good time. A good time is allowed when you when you watch a rose or just a mm -hmm. simple blade of grass. Yeah. And and he said. Take that to the max. Mm -hmm. Take take pleasure and joy to the max, because there'll there'll be a lot of other stuff. In any case, yes. Yeah. Well, and in in the book Neurologic, which uh, you are credited as being co-author of, you refer to different neural circuits yeah. in the brain, and uh, I, as I recall, one of them, not even the highest one, but one of one of them is like the neural circuit for ecstasy. The fifth circuit. Uh -huh. Yes, it's it's finally coming to a place where where survival 
isn't your only obsession. You are able to open your mind and your senses to the ecstatic world that is in us and out of us. Mm -hmm. And that is allowed and you can activate that and you can you can live from that place. Mm-hmm. But I don't think even even though many people might call Leary a hedonist, I don't think he he was to my way of thinking more of an Epicurean than a hedonist be, because it wasn't pleasure without meaning. It wasn't meaningless pleasure by any means that he was uh, advocating or seeking for himself. Beautifully said, Jeff absolutely beautifully said and i i don't think there can be true pleasure without meaning mm-hmm. because that's who we are just as much as the suffering and the pain that we we live is who we are right mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that oh Pain is not who we are. It's it's this incredible ball of being human. The best word that I have for pain and pleasure is poignancy. Mm-hmm. It's this whole thing is totally poignant. Yes, I mean it's poignant that you and I would be sitting here <laughs> after forty some years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's an event. Our it, second it, conversation forty five years after our first one. <laughs> right. It's it's poignant, these two little human beings who've yeah. gone through a tremendous amount and who who've who've I had well, a lot more hair back then. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um what did I have more of back then? <laughs> um, it's just, it's very poignant mm-hmm. that uh, I, I agree. we would be here. I agree, it is very poignant. And, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. hedonistic. <laughs> and it's sad it, because we only have a certain amount of time to live. But, well, uh, it's, it's all of it. It's all of it. And you know what? We could keep talking forever uh, about this. And, uh, I hope to have you back many, many times because I know that we'll have much to talk about. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for being with me and thank you for being with us. The New Thinking Aloud, or In Presence podcast, that you have just heard was originally recorded as a video for the New Thinking Aloud channel on YouTube. Check out the channel by going to newthinkingallowed.com.